Tape Deck. It's a weekly podcast that comes out on Friday. It's about music, all types of music. You know that. Uh, tune in to us on iTunes, on Spotify, everywhere where podcasts are available. And at the website, tapedeckpodcast.com, we've got music reviews. We've got stuff about music. we got everything you need. Uh, I'm Rob Mora, and with me today is the oh-so-sweet, so-sweet, like candy. His name is Jordan Lowe. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast today. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's like a Monday. Oh my God, it's so nice out. It's sunny, perfect temp. Just a little bit on the cooler side. I'm glad it's not hot anymore. It's been good. How's your day today? My day was good. Yeah? Yeah. Not too bad. Yeah. Just a same old, same old day kind of relaxing. Oh uh, Yeah, it was good. I had a great weekend. Yeah. I had to catch up on some work and I... Yeah, I got to do a little bit of research to get ready for this Ooh. podcast, too, which was Ooh. really fun. Which you, you guys have already seen the title of it, probably, so you know what we're going to talk about. Um, but to fill it in, though, uh, Jordan is a member of the Seattle kind of soul, kind of funk band, uh, Swing Set. Um, they've been around for about a year and a half. They put out their first EP last year. They're about to work, or they are working right now on a new album. Right, like our first debut album is going to be? Yeah, our first, first full length. That's exciting. I always love when bands are about to release like an LP. Like that's a, that's a mark. Like that's, that's a sign of work from a new band. Like regardless how it goes, congratulations for making the effort. You know, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it though because I loved your EP. It's great. Thanks, um, you guys just put out a new music video for one of your songs off the EP, right? We did, yeah. Yeah, the song's called Bin Time. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, great. It's got finger puppets and uh, stop motion and lots of hearts. Uh, it's really cool. I'm a big fan. Uh, so guys, check that out. It's on YouTube, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Uh, Jordan, I have a very important question for you that is very crucial to the topic of which we are talking about. Do you have synesthesia? Actually, I don't have synesthesia. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? You shouldn't shame yourself for it because almost none of us have it, at least relatively. Um, what is the percentage? Like 4%? scientifically that's what i heard yeah four percent have this rare condition it's not even really a condition it's just a thing people have with their brains yeah pharrell does not like when people call it a condition oh no i pissed off pharrell already i'm sorry he's gonna throw that arby's hat at me like that guy from uh, that james bond movie <laughs> <laughs> i forget his name the guy with the the austin powers whatever the guy with the hats yeah <laughs> synesthesia for those who uh don't know what it is it's this mingling of the senses uh, in ways that that doesn't really happen in the majority of people's brains. Like, mostly senses interact in ways that are common, you know, like smell and taste will interact a lot, or people will see and hear things and it'll change their perception, you know? Like, senses will interact in a way that's feasible, but sometimes certain people have connections between their senses that are a little out of the ordinary. A lot of the times, uh, people will explain it as there's two types of synesthesia. Did you read about this? It's called projective synesthesia and associative synesthesia. Mm. Uh, what we're gonna be talking about is associative, but the way people understand it the most uh, is projective synesthesia, which is all visual. So people will see a number and they'll see a specific color. So that like, and that's easy because you can just see a graph. You know, like I could show you like a list of numbers, like one through nine, and they'll like have a different color each and that'll be how people see like that'll be how people see colors when they see like numbers or letters, you know? So associative synesthesia is what we're gonna be covering because that's where uh, music sort of relates to, you know? And uh, because music is such a, a weird, strange, 
some would say mystical, some would say fantastical sort of thing. It interacts with a lot of people's senses in a lot of different ways. It's all subjective, you know. Um, we're going to be talking about um, the most common form of how uh, music interacts with people, which is colors. We've heard a lot of artists talk about that. Um, but we're also going to cover on a specific one that we both thought was kind of interesting, which is how music relates to taste uh, and cooking and all of that. It's a rare form of synesthesia, but we both think it's really fascinating. You would agree, right? I think it's very fascinating. Yeah, it kind of makes me wish I had that particular thing because I've started to cook a lot ever since I moved to Lower Queen Anne. And uh, it would just make it so much more exciting. I like to just sort of know. I wonder if people who have it like have that internally, like that knowledge that they just know what goes together based on their own. Or whether or not people have a certain form of synesthesia where they put things together that seem like they go well together and then they just don't, you know? It's like, oh, Jesus, Red. Well, and I, and I, red. And I was also thinking, <laughs> beyond just projective and associative, that in my understanding of synesthesia, there may be also be like two other categories. Really? Separately, where it's real synesthesia and maybe academic synesthesia. Interesting. <clears throat> now, what, Which, would you, what would you delineate between those? So, I mean, you asked me earlier if I have synesthesia. Yeah. And I don't. And yeah. I, I don't see colors. I don't uh, taste personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that over time, I've like gotten a little bit better at associating. And that's uh, it. Metaphorically or like, mm-hmm. um, you know, in sort of a, almost a literary way. Right. Of um, thinking about music as being colorful. It's a little bit like a learned synesthesia, almost a little bit. Like it's acquired yeah, a little bit. But then that is sort of what associative synesthesia is. It's like it's not so much a, like a completely vivid sensory thing as it is like an association. Mm-hmm. Like a straight up, like you just think about things and then it, like you'll hear a trumpet and you'll think of orange. Or like for people who have it harder, they'll just come up with it. Like the color will just flood you. Like mentally, you might not even see it, but it's just like orange, you know. That's crazy, man. Yeah. Um, so, so there's so there's still hope for us. There's still hope for us. Yeah. I don't know. It's like that Hogwarts letter I was waiting for when I was ten. You know. <laughs> Eventually, I think I'm gonna hit thirty, and then all of a sudden, I'm gonna I'm gonna hear Miles Davis kind of blue, and I'm gonna be like, oh, purple. Hogwarts, here I come. All right. <laughs> Is there an adult Hogwarts? Did you read Harry Potter when you were younger? Oh, of course. I fucking loved Harry Potter. That's why I hate what J.K. Rowling is doing right now, but she's never going to ruin what she did for me back then when I was a little kid. I had Harry Potter curtains in my room. We were, we were in the golden age of Harry Potter. Golden age of Harry Potter. I'm so glad we had that when we were kids. How old are you now? I'm 27. Okay, my age. Yeah. So we were right there. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is not a Harry Potter cast, but <coughs> Harry Potter. No, so, never mind. Sounds like it could be, though. It could be. Welcome to the Harry Potter cast, <laughs> episode 11. My name's... I'm oh, just kidding. Um, so do you know any artists who have claimed that they've had, like musical artists who have claimed that they've had synesthesia? Yeah, um, that was actually a cool piece. I, I knew of a couple yeah. and I learned about several more. What were the ones that you knew off the <clears throat> top of your head? Um, so I knew Dev Hines. Dev Hines of Blood Orange. Of Blood Orange. Yes. Um, and it kind of makes sense when you think about it. Like his music process just arbitrarily feels so organic. Like, his music feels so... It's not overproduced. Like, it's very... He uses electronic textures and a lot of electronic instruments, but it feels very, like, homespun, like, from the ground up. And that would make sense 
you know, because he would be able to put certain things together. And even I think his sense of rhythm, may have, he may have used that synesthesia, I think, to maybe sort of put certain things in ways that weren't necessarily perfect but made sense to him. Definitely. You know? And I remember listening to Keep It Deluxe, which was mm-hmm. the first Blood Orange album, and <clears throat> sort of noticing that he would repeat these themes. He would repeat a hook uh, on a later song in the album, yes. which felt very cinematic to me at the time. Mm-hmm. And actually, my first reaction was like, well, that's cheating, isn't it? Like, <laughs> right. got to write like, a bunch of new music. But uh, upon learning that he was synesthetic, it made so much more sense that like, he was then recreating these, uh, these same themes but like with a completely different palette. Oh yeah, um, it would make sense. Different color and yeah. um, like an example would be uh, the song, It Is What It Is, mm-hmm. it comes as like the fourth or fifth song on the album and then Time Will Tell comes at the end and it's the exact same hook. Interesting. Um, but a completely different, know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a fun experiment. It is, yeah. To listen. I've seen, well that's, it's also a common thing I think a lot of people, it, it's in a bunch of genres like, um, motifs and stuff and it's like some people will use it as cinematic things and then that some people like dev i'm assuming that is one of the things he would do probably just use it as as a little bit of color he did did you ever listen to his the album after that freetown sound oh yeah that was like he took that and he ran with it like yeah. that album is essentially just a patchwork of, you want to talk about color like that is a patchwork of just like bits that he would repeat and then like things he would bring up and it's just like it's so elliptical and and circuitous, like it feels like it goes around, mm-hmm. you know? So that's one thing that it really likes to do. And it, it would, it, it's not the worst idea in the world that he would like use that as, I can't tell his, his creative process or not, but that makes sense if he has synesthesia, you know? Um, and just the style of his music is so like that. Uh, who else? Um, I, I'm not sure if Frank Ocean has claimed to be a synesthete. I think it hasn't been proven yet, Yeah, I think. but. He is very clearly like uh, connected with colors. Yeah. Um, in naming his album Channel Orange, mm-hmm. um, naming his second album Blonde. Blonde, yeah. Um, what he would do? He has a. What other songs does he have that have colors? Pink Matter mm-hmm. was one of them. Oh, I can't um, really think of them, any others off the top of my head. Oh, um, oh, what's that song off of Blonde? It goes, uh, "If the sky is pink and white, if the ground is black and yellow." Pink and yeah, white. Yeah, but that's more about. That's more about like. I don't know what the fuck Frank Ocean is yeah. talking about sometimes. It doesn't matter. It sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> and the kids are into it. Um, yeah. And that's the thing. It's like a lot of people who may have synesthesia sometimes can't see it vividly, but emotionally they can feel connected to a particular color and that will come out in the music because music is so often tied with emotion. Yeah. You know? And interestingly, like, <clears throat> you know, we talk about... Um, seeing music as color and you know there's so many different elements to music right there's like uh individual notes Mm -hmm. which i think uh you know a lot of artists have claimed to just hear like yeah f is um red yeah and like Mm -hmm. uh, c is white i was actually talking about this with my boyfriend last night uh because he studied classical music and he knows that i mean there are famous people in history classical music specifically that have that have not only claimed they have synesthesia, but they've sort of just, they have such specific examples that it's like it can't possibly not be true. Yeah, I, um, like uh, Franz Liszt. Franz Liszt, um, uh, Duke Ellington. Duke Ellington, and I learned an interesting thing about Duke Ellington is that it wasn't, uh, it was color, but also he had like a timbre-specific 
um, yeah. like textural form of yeah. synesthesia, <clears throat> where mm-hmm. he could tell based on who was playing it. Wow. And it would look different. Um, oh my god, that same note. So brilliant. Yeah. Oh. There was a a composer named Amy Beach. Do you remember reading about that? Mm-mm. Amy Beach was a classical composer. She was born in the mid-1800s, I think, so she did a lot of her work in the late 1800s. And um, she had a very, very specific uh, form of, uh, oh, what do they call it? Colorsthesia, I think is what they call it. Chromasthesia. Chromasthesia. Yeah. Um, where she not only had perfect pitch, but the fact that she could see, like she could actually see colors uh, from sounds like she could see a color and then because of perfect pitch she'd be able to tell exactly what note they were playing like so when she would hear birds sing or like parrots she said she would she could hear exactly which note they were playing because a she had perfect pitch and b she had chromesthesia like that's that's a crazy combination super to have. cool man and that's that's almost like cheating if you're a composer like it's crazy and uh one thing i i heard about um dev hines talking about sort of that same reverse process, mm-hmm. not like hearing and then seeing, but um, him talking about creating a piece of music from a drawing, mm. um, picking like a palette of colors, maybe like four colors, mm-hmm. um, and then using those chords or like using the, the chords or the notes yeah. that correspond with those colors in his song. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how, well, it's historically noted that a lot of people that experience synesthesia and it's all of its forms, you know, they tend to undergo creative projects or have lives in the creative process because that's just how they see the world. Like having those bonds immediately there, it just draws them to that. Uh, but then oftentimes people who have synesthesia don't really know they have synesthesia until most people discover it when they're in childhood because that's when they start to interact with other beings and when you start to communicate with them and you're all of a sudden like, oh, I have this thing that no one else has. and. Uh, and then once you grow older, you're like, oh, I can, I can, it's just something that, that I have and I can do it, you know? And it is one of those things where not having it makes it hard to conceive of having it, you know? It's like, because it's just something that someone lives for, you know, like if they have it, you see it, like you're experiencing it and it's normal to you, but it's not normal to somebody else. And it's just, it's inconceivable, you know? Like I can't. I guess I could picture looking at like that iPhone case over there and seeing like certain colors out of the letters on that, you know? But I just can't. And I hate it. <laughs> I wish I had it. You know? So people, people who, some people have claimed that they are gifted, that they have synesthesia. But, you know, and some people are just like, well, it's just, it, it's neutral. Sometimes people will experience sensory overload. Like they'll just, they'll, there's going to be too much stuff affecting them, you know. And there's people who have multiple forms of synesthesia. So like colors and sounds, colors and taste, uh, smells and sounds, like it's, it all just wraps around. Like that, sometimes that can be really, really negative and you just sort of can't handle it, you know. Yeah, I was uh, <clears throat> reading an interview with this guy who has the lexical gustatory type mm-hmm. of synesthesia, which is... Um, yeah, associating words with tastes. Mm-hmm. And he basically said that he doesn't like to eat food. <laughs> she just, um, oh no! Because he's tasting stuff all day long when he's talking to people. Oh um, my God! And that actually his real, like what he looks for in food is more textural and temperature than flavor. Interesting. The flavor doesn't really matter to him. I'm guessing he might prefer cold stuff over hot stuff then, if cold stuff has a relatively subdued taste. You know? Yeah. 
Or maybe he just like tunes out the flavor. It's possible. He's just going for it. I guess you could. Oh, texture. Man, that sucks. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder which textures he would like then though. It must just be a preference, right? He said he likes chips. Oh, chips. Yeah. Just got a great texture, yeah. Everybody, I'll down a bag of layers Everybody like loves that. chips. Yeah, most people like chips. We're talking about American chips, right? Not like the English fries. Oh, I don't know actually. I think he was, was he from pre- England. Oh, great, well. F- fries though, they're yeah. just as popular here. <laughs> still Crisp them up, hey, you got chips. Still love them. Yeah, still love them. Um, so while we're on the topic of that, let's go into it. Um, so tasting words, that's a strange fucking thing. Like I can see it sort of happening. It, again, it's one of those things where if you don't have it, you can't really imagine having it. But I, I do remember reading a report about somebody, I forget where it was. I think it was actually on a forum of someone who was like, yeah, I can taste words. And they said uh, the uh, the word that tasted the worst of them was the word squelch. They couldn't stand that word. It was like, it was like it, it, if I licked a manhole cover, that's what he said, that's what it tasted like. And he's like, I love the word cinnamon. Like it's one of those things just like, oh, it's just nice and bright. It's like tutti frutti. Um, and then people who were using the forum would be like, what's my username taste like? And he would say it and he'd be like, yours tastes like a cherry popsicle, you know, <laughs> crazy. And, and I can see how it could be problematic, you know, like just being, you can't say anything, you don't want to eat anything, but you know. So you're a, you work as a chef, right? You do a lot of cooking, I'm assuming. I do a lot of cooking yeah. on my own and for my job right now. Too. Yeah. And what interests you so much about, about there's music and there's cooking, they're like, the actual, there's lexical gustatory synesthesia, but then there's actual music, like, I guess you could call it auditory gustatory. Um, that's just so freaking rare. Like, I can't, I guess you can sort of see it, but, yeah. you know. And I think that a lot of times, um, you know, you associate different types of sounds with different types of flavors. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that's sort of just something that we're told sometime in our life, you know, like, uh, what's a chocolatey sound? Um, mm-hmm. Probably something low and like a, you know, like yeah. a baritone sax like or that. like, yeah, or yeah, like a like cello that. or something. Oh, yeah, that's chocolatey. Yeah. But then like, um, <laughs> like uh, citrus could be like a... Yeah, it'd be like a high like note. A high, like um, I've heard of people yeah. sort of, yeah, pairing like white wine with a high-pitched That would make tone, sense. You know? Well, it's funny because... Uh, do you remember that experiment? This is kind of related, but do you remember that experiment where people would show, like, there'd be two images, there'd be, like, this kind of squiggly, like, but with lots of curves, like, kind of like if you threw, like, a, if you hawked a loogie on the sidewalk, that's what it would look like. Whereas there was, like, this one that's, like, kind of like when you see in a comic book, like, the word BAM, it's, like, behind that, it's like a spiky image. They would show those two images, and they would ask people, which one would you call Booba, and which one is Kiki? And 95% of the people in this study would call the sharp image one Kiki, and the, the wavy, kind of curvy one, they would call that Booba. Um, and this actually is true for infants as well. So it's like, there is sort of like a general association. I mean, I think it would make sense to most people that a chocolate, like rich kind of feel would have like a low tone, you know? Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where it just sort of makes some kind of sense, you know, like that association. Yeah. You know, and we got to ask where that comes from. You know, that's true. Because I think for some people, maybe that is just a natural, a natural feeling. Yeah. But for other people, I think you can probably develop sort of the same understanding of it. Yeah. Maybe just not quite as vivid. Perhaps. Or obvious. That's true. I have to imagine if you work more with food and you understand what goes well with what, there must be like 
a process where all of a sudden you can start to develop ways in which certain senses intermingle, you know? And there's a way also of thinking about food and cooking and flavors as like having different color profiles. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times they, they're complementary to what their colors actually are. So like, you know, spicy might be red. Um, you know, of like course. Chili powder and cayenne powder. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all the things like that, those are red flavors. Yeah. Maybe <clears throat> your green flavors are like fresh herbs, cilantro, yeah. cucumber. Things that are green. Um, you know? Things, yeah, I mean, they are green. And then if you think about like building up a flavor profile, they become green. There's like, like a, I was trying to figure out how to make a white flavor. Yeah. Um, and that's hard because it's a little bit, it's like painting with white paint. And if you get another pigment in it, that can really have, uh, that can take over quite a bit. Wow, I didn't even think about it like that. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, something that, that you're going for a specific type of feel and it just, it, I, I see the, uh, the uh, association. It was, it was like a celery soup I was trying to make. Oh, it was like celery sense. and like caraway mm -hmm. and I think what that would possibly potatoes. potatoes but I had to be really careful because yeah. if I added what'd you use a base uh, I use like celery root and potatoes okay and leeks as and the leeks. base what was the actual like soup part was it like a broth um, honestly I just like cooked the potatoes down and put some just water in and then up. just uh, straight up water and then uh, blended it up okay that makes sense and it just literally just used what you were like Spices or anything like yeah, caraway, right? Yeah, like salt and the leeks. Okay, yeah, and a little bit of caraway. What color would salt have, or like what what sense would salt have? Hmm. Because salt is like a main taste thing, so yeah. it's just so pure of a of a flavor. You know. Yeah, I mean, I'm wanting to call it white. I yeah, that also, salt could be like, white. It's just it like white. Mm. And but then it's also, color. it's like kind of. I, I associate salt with like a little bit on the basic scale, so maybe like a light blue, perhaps, mm. or a, yeah. You know. I mean, I think in a, in a way, if you think about like adding salt, you can add salt to almost anything. True. And like think about having a, a palette of paint. Um, if you're mix, mixing colors, <clears throat> like putting a little bit of white right. um, is almost always just gonna brighten the flavor, right? Like maybe bring out some of the other colors yeah. in the same way people talk about bringing out flavors with salt. Is this how you think about food? A lot of times, yeah, which is... Uh, then you might have synesthesia. I'm just saying. Maybe. Yeah, maybe you didn't know you had it all this time, and then all of a sudden it's just sort of popping at you. Yeah, I mean, I don't see it, but I can think about it. Yeah. Oh, my God, you're so lucky. God, I wish I had anything like that. Uh, but that's, that's for a different time. Um, so, I mean, cooking is essentially food composition, which is sort of similar to music composition, you know? I mean, at the very basic level, the processes are kind of similar. Like you were saying, you know, if you're, if you're putting together a dish, um, it's a little bit like painting a painting, and it's a little bit like putting instruments and sounds together to create a compositional piece of music, you know? Very much. Yeah, I think it's fascinating, you know? Um, and I was reading this article about, it was somebody who was sort of relating cooking to an art and specifically about classical composition and how it relates to how certain notes will play upon each other. Um, they gave specific examples, um, and I guess we could talk about these specifically and maybe sort of agree or disagree with whether or not they're actually like, if it's accurate, you know? So uh, let's talk about, for example, they said that the concept of a chord, like 
certain notes coming together to make a chord they said was very similar to making something like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Salty peanuts, sweet jam, grainy bread, resonate. What do you think about that? Is that accurate? Do you think that's less accurate? Yeah, and I think uh, to take that even to another level, um, you know, I, if you hear people talk about cooking or even like um, thinking about scents, have things having like top notes and bottom notes. Top notes and bottom and notes, middle yes. notes. Um, think about that as like, uh, if we think about our chords having a three chords that you have your triad, you can play that in three different ways. Yeah. Um, you know, different inversions. Yeah. Uh, with different notes on top that can serve like different purposes. So maybe we go heavy on the peanut butter mm -hmm. for somebody, um, and that's like your first inversion chord. Right. Um, somebody likes three pieces of bread with their peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's like root position. <laughs> the Big Mac with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking. See, and, and it shows up here too. It's like top note, bottom notes, it's all here. Um, all right, well, in that case, let's actually just. I'm gonna list some of these things and maybe you can explain to me perhaps what you might find in food that covers some of these. What would you say perhaps is something like dissonance? How would that show up in food? Mm. Like, pot, like, I know people use dissonance as like a color or like a, a way to, to, to change a specific, like add a certain thing to music, you know? I've got something here that says that dissonance could be like dark chocolate but spiced with like chili, you know? Where it's like, it's, it's a bitter flavor, especially if you use like a dark chocolate and then you pierce it with chili, you know? Like that could be something that's kind of like dissonance. Yeah, you know? that could totally be like dissonance. Yeah. What my mind's going to right now is like um, the idea of bitterness. Um, yeah. I think that you know, bitter is a flavor that is kind of difficult to wrap your head around. Mm -hmm. um, it's not one of those more like commonly used um, spicy, sweet, salty, umami. Mm -hmm. types of flavors um, but it can be used in a really interesting way to like make a complex flavor or if you think about drinking like a cup of coffee with dessert um, oh yeah you take a bite of your sweet dessert if you take a sip of coffee it sort of like cleanses your palate and then you're ready that's true. almost in a way that like dissonance can mm -hmm. be that tension and release that's true. Um, dissonance to consonance. Yeah. And in the same way, it's sort of why espresso, like the most powerful form of coffee generally, you know, would be served with something sweet like cake, you know, and a lot of like they have those paired together. And that makes a lot of sense, you know, in the way that uh, a band like Sonic Youth, for example, will, will make dissonant chords that, that pair really well because they feel really well, you know, like they'll, they'll do certain notes and they'll pair them together, you know. That's a really interesting point. All right, here's an interesting one. Um, notes can be flat and they can be sharp. Like, how do you feel perhaps? What does that bring to you? Like the concept of a note, like, a, like a, an ingredient in a dish being flat or being sharp and having that sort of change of particular feel about a dish. Mm. The example here is uh, sharp would be um, pico de gallo. So vegetable and tomato flavors are pierced by the raw fire of diced chili peppers. And then for flat, they've got gin and tonic, where lime and the licorice botanicals are reined in by the bitter quinine. Mm. Is that how you pronounce it? Quinine. Quinine. Yeah, I think so. It just looks to me like quinine. Hmm. Quinine. It's, I think it's quinine. Yeah, I've been eating too much quinoa. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> flat. I think, I think you say that quinoa. <laughs> Quin, quinoa. Quinoa. It's named my next uh, fantasy uh, character. My D&D character's name is <laughs> Quinoa. <laughs> 
the legend of Quinoa, leader of the Five Kings. I've been watching too much Game of Thrones. Um, flat. I'm trying to think. What would be like a flat flavor? Yeah, that's a hard one. Yeah, um, I I understand those. Yeah, you know, the it's Pico just like you de get Gallo the, yeah, and it's sort of it's see how bringing the, it up and uh, yeah. Um, what about basil? Mm. You know, basil to me feels like it's one of those things that sort of levels something out in a sense, like brings it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's what I get when I get out of basil. I mean, basil is one of those things where it's just like you just sort of some people feel certain ways about it and some people don't. You know? Yeah, totally. What about mm-hmm. even like. Heavy cream. Ooh, yeah. Sort of weighs, weighs things down. It dampens the... True. Although, to be honest, though, like, a flat note isn't necessary. It's a different note. It's, it's not, a different note. It's true. Because technically, a flat is a sharp in another way. Yeah. You know? Boy, that's that. I'm, that is a hard I'm, I'm one. I'm kind of stumped. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, maybe here's an easier one. Uh, coda. Like, and you know what a coda is. It's mm-hmm. just, like, the thing that's... that's it's not... Referenced, it just sort of gets tacked onto the, the end. end. Yeah. What if it was like a oh, flavor yeah. that comes at the end of something, mm-hmm. like that you don't expect? Yeah. Or even just like dessert. Dessert, perhaps. I'm thinking like an aftertaste. Yeah. Like something that specifically has something that's supposed to wear off on your palate. Mm. You know. So like dessert, maybe like a specific type of coffee, for example. Again, like we'll have like a coda of like apricot, or something. Yeah, and yeah. I bet if you got really into wine, you know. There's all kinds of tasting notes. Yeah. Uh, where you could break it up into, yeah, like mm-hmm. sort of the upfront flavor, yeah. the middle flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the ones I'm, I'm sort of latching my mind around are like parts of a song and how they relate to dishes. To me, that's what I'm relating with most, like the ones I can understand the most, like a bridge, for example, you know, or like a verse and chorus, you know, and how there's two separate parts that sort of come together. Like, this is such a cool way to think about music that I literally have never done before. Like, God, it's so cool. You guys should try it. Like, next time you guys are cooking a dish, uh, think about what you're putting into it and which ingredients are like the verse and which one's the coda. Or like, which ones are the top notes, which ones are the bottom notes. It's like its whole thing. That's crazy. Ooh, what about texture? Texture's a really good one, I think. Because music is so made of, of so much textures, you know? like synths and guitar and instruments and everything yeah and i think in a lot of ways you know um while maybe the the type of synesthesia where you taste sounds is really rare um seeing ways that music and flavor can share some common ground for example like thinking about them in terms of a texture um can help to sort of conceptualize this idea um for example um let's talk about minimalism, right? Okay. So we have like, there's music that's pretty minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't have to be super avant-garde. Let's just say like, uh, you know, some simple like guitar. Uh, or like Lord, She yeah. did some minimal pieces that compar- comparably for pop music, you know? Totally. Or like Brian Eno's ambient work. Totally. So like, let's say we're cooking some asparagus. Mm-hmm. Um, we can cook that in such a way where like, we're really trying to bring out the flavor of the asparagus itself, right? We can just cook it in a little bit of water, maybe a little lemon juice and salt, and like, there's our asparagus. We could also make asparagus casserole, uh, which would, you know, we pour in some like cream and we put cheese on it and we do like a lot of spices. Um, And that's another way to cook asparagus, 
that like would maybe be like less of a a minimalist approach yeah um it could still be really good um and i think like you think about comfort food Mm -hmm. um and you try to think about what's comfort music um you know maybe like some of the more heavily produced pop music that's pretty accessible to lots of people and it feels good Mm because the lyrics are just kind of like or like smooth r&b feels good yeah Yeah. exactly and it's just like really filled in like your music (laughs) bringing it full circle yeah (laughs) yeah except i don't really like cooking comfort food that much interesting (laughs) weird (laughs) yeah um maybe i'm aspiring Um, maybe my my uh my music is catching up to my cooking somehow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you can also think about it. It's interesting because if you want to talk about, like, one ingredient being used in several ways, like, texturally, minimalistic, maximalist, whatever, uh, one way maybe to think about that is that there's this very specific set of chords that people will use in a lot of different songs um, and how those get represented in certain ways, you know? Like, um, like one of the quieter, maybe, Sia pieces. I'm not pronouncing her name correctly. I would say Sia for some reason. Yeah, see, uh, see yeah. Sia. Don't <laughs> judge me. Um, will be used in a specific piece. I think there was a like chandelier, for example. That's not one of her more minimalist pieces, but she'll use that. There'd be a whole other like an up-tempo piece, like a, a modern pop song, perhaps by Halsey, for example, that will use those same kinds of chords, but complete a, make a completely different song, even though they're within the same genre. You know, certain parts. And a, the other thing is that it's funny how just as there are a finite set of ingredients you can use, there's, a, there's essentially a finite set of musical parts that you can make, you know? It's like, there seems to be like an assumed infinite, but really there's like, what? I mean, there's realistically, how many ingredients perhaps that you could use to put together? Like, it's um, a lot, but it's not like infinite. But also you know? imagine like, if I'm cooking a meal and I want tomatoes, right? Yeah, I could go to the grocery store and I could get like Heirloom, aroma. I could get aroma tomato yeah. that's like way out of season, mm-hmm. or I could go to the farmer's market. I could get this fat heirloom tomato that's juicy and flavorful. Right. And think about all the 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 spectrum of tomatoes in between there. True. Um, how would that equate to music? Would it be like playing a note on a certain type of guitar, for example? Yeah. Like maybe I just like picked up a like beat to shit little squire guitar. Yeah. Or I like play on a A jazz master for example exactly or or like you know or a midi you know like cherry tomatoes versus big tomatoes yeah and that's not to say you can't make something delicious with your squire you can't make something that sounds really good with your roma tomato it just colors it but yeah yeah it adds that different dimension to each ingredient but the i guess the the if there's just certain ingredients and there's certain parts in music and there are common ones that work really well together, and then there are ones that just sort of surprise you. That's another really big connection between like music and food. Totally, know? and like the the value of experimentation. Yeah. Right? Like you look at a musician, and you're like, how do they think about make doing that combination of stuff? Yeah. You know, and that's just like hours and hours of time spent mm-hmm. messing around with things and mm-hmm. like trying to have these visions. And the same with a really amazing chef. You know, they just thing. spent a ton of time in the kitchen thinking about food, and um, you know, come up with can come up with these really creative combinations. Yeah. Now, how many chefs do you think have synesthesia? Probably not as many as there are musicians. Probably not as many. Yeah, it seems like it's a little rarer. 
but then I'm assuming that the peop- the, the chefs that do have just like a whole, not necessarily an edge, because, you know, it shows up in all different forms and whatnot, but, you know. Well, and also the fact of, like, a majority of synesthetic people who are, you know, synesthetic people are only about 4% of the population, right? Very fair, and that's true. I heard that 1% of synesthetic people have this, uh, like, taste-associated synesthesia. Wow. What is the... Uh... That would be 0.04% of the population. So four in every 10,000 people. Which is still, I mean, when you consider how many people are on the face of the earth, that's relatively a lot of people. But still, like, that's crazy. And then how many of those people end up becoming chefs? You know? Some people don't even want, like, there'd be a person to be like, oh, I have this, I can taste colors. Or, like, when I taste something, I hear something specific. And then they don't want anything to do with chefs. They'll deal like an accountant. Or yeah. something you know yeah they don't sure. even cook on their spare time they just go to chipotle you know <laughs> there's a waste of opportunity yeah, what does chipotle, chipotle <laughs> look like yeah you only do with your gifts what you can do with them <laughs> you know man synesthesia is such a cool thing it's i think just to wrap it together it's like it's so amazing that the human brain can work like that you know i think it's amazing enough that the human brain does the things that it does you know and that we're able to detect that it does the things it does and that we can express it but on top of that the way that these senses can interact in ways that that seem almost magical that's crazy like it's still i'm i'm in awe and as i've expressed continually throughout this podcast i'm jealous and i wish i wish i had it yes i want it yeah but in my, you know, in my opinion, especially reading more about synesthesia, where you're thinking about how it actually works in the brain, where uh, you know, they would identify in an MRI that hearing something would then activate like color parts of your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, the blood flow and all that. I think there are lots of things we do to increase the connections in our brain just even thinking about like practicing music, you know, how much we can improve and like something really magical can come out of your fingers that you didn't even know. That's true. Could come out of your fingers. That's true. Um, so I think it just says like, yeah, I'm, I, I'm jealous. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> of people being able to just see it. <laughs> but I think there's a way to like understand yeah. Uh, different experiences metaphorically through our other senses. That's true. Um, that's just a matter of like trying and working on it. Trying and working, you know? You too, if you put the time into it and you, you put in the muscle and all the hours, you too could become Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> that Hogwarts ticket is coming in the mail. I'm yeah, you're going to get it when you turn I'm 30. still waiting. That's when it comes. Still waiting. I'll go to adult Hogwarts, but it's going to be in like Hungary or something like that. It's an underground Hogwarts too, which sucks because... Because there's going to be no windows. I'm going to hate it. <laughs> Illegal. I'm going to hate it. Illegal yep. underground Hogwarts. Yeah. Everyone's going to speak Hungarian and I can't do that. Oh, this suck. Why did they build it in Hungary? Come on. There's enough buildings in Hungary. All right. Well, that, I think, is going to wrap it up. I think we had such a fascinating discussion. Jordan, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rob. Yeah. Um, and this comes out every Friday, so check in next Friday for the next episode. Make sure you check that website, tapedeckpodcast.com. My name is Rob Moore. I'm going to see you guys in a second. Unless you want to binge another episode, I fully support your decision. Thanks for listening. Good night.